I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 16. And our focus today will be on verses 23 to 31. We're looking today at Samson. Samson, a character far more well-known than the other characters we have looked at recently. Men like Jephthah, Gideon, and Barak. Many have heard of Samson. Even if they've never read Judges chapters 13 to 16, they've heard of Samson. And there are many words that we could use to describe Samson. He's clearly strong. His strength is, in fact, legendary. He's also impulsive. He's immature. And he has a particular weakness for women, especially women who are off-limits, like Philistine women. That's what we think of when we consider Samson. I'm guessing we don't think of the word faith when we think of Samson. And yet, Samson's name is right there in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. There it is. In one way, shape, or form, this man was marked by saving faith. How could this be the case? The answer comes here at the very end of his life, here in Judges chapter 16. When his life has reached a low ebb, he is at a point of humiliation and desperation. His life that began with so much promise and so much potential ends in this very pathetic scene. This mighty man, Samson, is blinded and has to be led by a young boy. And so I want to raise the question this morning, how does a life that begins like Samson's with a prophecy from God appearing to his parents. How does a life that begins like that end in such humiliation? And could this have been avoided? Did it have to be this way? And the answer, of course, is no. Well, let's read how it ends, and then let's consider the source of his strength and what brought about his downfall all the while thinking about, where is faith in this? What could we possibly want to imitate in someone like Samson? So we pick up our reading in verse 23 of Judges chapter 16. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. 
When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant, the young boy who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. So here we see Samson, totally humiliated by his enemies, the Philistines. These worshipers of the god Dagon. These people who look to Dagon as superior to the God of Israel, who are celebrating their great triumph, down has fallen Samson. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. They've cut his hair, the source of his strength, or so they think. They've gouged out his eyes. They've set him to hard labor, grinding grain, and now it's time to celebrate. Now it's time to look upon Samson's humiliation. How did we get here? Samson, the mighty warrior, the mighty leader of God's people. How does this happen? And how does any life end in this kind of humiliation? How can we avoid this? Well, first, we need to understand what made Samson strong. What made Samson strong? And to see the answer to that, we have to flip back to Judges chapter 13. When an angel of the Lord comes to his mother and announces to her that her child is not going to be any ordinary child, her child has been set apart for a sacred purpose. Her child is going to be called a Nazarite. You see this in chapter 13, verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor. 
because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This child is set apart by God to fulfill God's purposes for his people. So in short, what was it that made Samson so strong? It was his consecration to God. His consecration. The fact that God said, you are going to be different. I have great plans for you. You are going to be the one to deliver my people out of the hands of their oppressors, the Philistines. And this is a calling, this is a setting apart that takes place before Samson even has any consciousness. He doesn't know what's going on. This is from the womb. God calls him and sets him apart. But we're also told the agent of this setting apart, and that is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is repeatedly described as rushing upon him, stirring him, moving him, acting upon him, leading him to perform these great acts of deliverance. And we're told this, for example, beginning at chapter 13, verse 25. We're told that he grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him began to empower him so that, yes, his hair is symbolic of his strength. It's symbolic of the fact that this man is to live under a certain code of conduct given by God, and it is symbolized by his hair. His hair is not actually the source of his strength. The source of his strength is the Holy Spirit of God who set him apart, who called him who equipped him and empowered him. And it is the Holy Spirit who enables him to perform these great feats, these legendary, epic feats of strength. Let's hit the highlights. In chapter 14, verse 6, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, rushed upon him, so that he tore a lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, most of us here probably think, well, I don't know if I would be able to handle a young goat. But here's Samson with a lion. A lion coming at him, and he kills it with his own bare hands. Surely this man is different. Surely this man is empowered by God. Moving on to chapter 14, verse 19 after he indulges in a playful riddle with the Philistines, and after the Philistines trick him by getting the answer to the riddle from his wife, he gets angry. He's impulsive. That's all fitting with his character. And in verse 19 of chapter 14, we're told, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, rushed upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle, burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. Thirty men 
against one. Thirty men. Well, it continues. After the Philistines give his wife to another, as you imagine, he's not too happy about that. He decides he will take revenge on them, so he ties together 300 foxes, sets them loose among their grain. And remember, what is it that Samson is grinding when they humiliate him? Grain. This, this means something. This is not accidental. The Philistines mean to humiliate him in the way that he humiliated them by burning their fields of grain. They say, that's what you want to do with our grain? How about you grind it for us? Well, as you can imagine, the Philistines aren't happy, so then they send their army against him. And he seeks refuge in a cave, and eventually some men of Judah say, look, Samson, you're bringing war here. Can we hand you over? He says, okay, hand me over. Just promise you won't kill me. Tie me up. Just bring me as a prisoner. When they do so, we're told in chapter 15, verse 14, as he approached Lahai, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, just a discarded bone. He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And then later, as we go to chapter 16, he pays a visit to a brothel. And when the Philistines think, okay, now we've got him, let's trap him in the city, what does he do? Well, he waits till midnight when they're all asleep, and he just picks up the city gates and carries them on his shoulders on his way out. Do you see it? Feet after feet after feet of strength, all empowered by the Holy Spirit all uniquely designed by God to punish the Philistines for what they had done to his people, Israel. What made Samson strong? The Spirit of God, his consecration to the Spirit. Well, that's great for Samson. But I want you to know that the same source of strength will make you strong. No, you may not be called by God to kill a thousand people or lift city gates or kill a lion. No. But the source of your strength as a Christian comes from your consecration to the Spirit of God and nothing else. Are we clear on that? It's not in anything that you have accomplished for God. It's not in any great thing that you've said. It's not in what other people may think of you and how much they may admire your spiritual maturity. No. The source of spiritual strength is consecration to the Spirit of God. We can never forget that. And we have to ask the question, what's it going to take for us to finally realize that? To acknowledge the source of our strength? Because so often we live like it depends on us. 
Like it depends on what we say or what we do. The same applies for a church. The source of a church's strength is not in the pastor. It's not in the zeal and the fervor of a worship service. It's not in the excellence of the music program. It's not in the number of the programs for all ages. It's not in the beauty of the building. It's not in the size of the budget. It's in the sovereign power of the Spirit of God and nothing else. And the more consecrated we are to the Spirit of God, the stronger we will be as Christians and the stronger the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be. What's it going to take for us to realize that? Well, it took absolute humiliation for Samson to finally realize this. We've seen what made him strong. What made Samson weak? What made Samson weak? Well, in a word, sin. But we can be more specific. Much more specific. We can see the weakness of his flesh. We can see the pride of his life. And we can see how he is deceived over and over again by the enemy, Satan. And how this man that was supposed to be set apart, who was supposed to be special, who was supposed to be holy to God, ends up with the Philistines. You see how he he is constantly drawn to the Philistines. And what's playing out in his life is what we read about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where we read, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And you see how when Samson has his physical eyes, he's so blinded to this spiritually. What is it that leads him astray? Well, no sooner does he emerge on the scene in chapter 14 that we read in in chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. I've seen, I want, the lust of the flesh. He's weak, this man that can kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Falls prey to this temptation. The lust of the flesh. And it's the pride of life. I see, I want, I should have it. It's easy to see that in Samson. And I'm so thankful for the example of Samson so that we can see sin marked out so clearly. But the same ingredients we see in Samson, they're in me and they're in you, whether we want to admit it or not. The same pride, the same pride that leads us to believe we don't need God, that leads us to believe we can do better than God, that leads us to believe we deserve whatever we want, that leads us to believe that whatever we see should be good. If it's good in our eyes, it must be good, right? No. 
No. I pray for the Holy Spirit today to awaken you and to awaken me to see the bankruptcy of the things of this world. To see the deceitfulness of the enemy, the devil. To see the weakness of the flesh and the enslaving power of sin. Remember this. It never pays to sin. It never pays to sin. We may think it does. And temporarily, we may get some pleasure, some enjoyment out of it. But in the end, it will cost you. And it certainly costed Samson. Look at how he views God in chapter 15. This explains so much. After he's killed a thousand men, we read in verse 18, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? God, come on. Look what I just did for you. Now you're going to let me die of thirst? Come on, I'm better than this. I deserve more from life. Satisfy my longing. And God is so patient it's so merciful, and God has his purposes for Samson, and he provides water for him. But that's when this famous character of Delilah comes on the scene. And we see Samson's weakness on full display, and his immaturity, and his foolishness. She keeps trying to get the secret of his strength so that she can tell her own people, the Philistines. They've bribed her, of course. And he gives her one false sign after another, sends her down one rabbit trail after another. And you would think, after the Philistines rush in and try to kill him, that that would be a pretty good sign that I shouldn't trust this woman. She's lying to me. She's up to no good. But he doesn't get it. Until finally, when she pleads with him and begs him, please, you've made a fool of me. Please tell me the source of your strength. And what does he think the source of his strength is? No razor has ever been used on my head. This is chapter 16, verse 17. Because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would lead me, and I would become as weak as any other man. And we're told later in verse 19, that his strength left him. And we're told in verse 20, he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord departed. He's weak because he forgot the source of his strength. After all of these feats, these demonstrations of God's power on his behalf, he doesn't get it. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for Samson? What's it going to take for me? What's it going to take for you to realize the source of spiritual power and strength? How long are we going to continue being deceived and deluded and following the ways of the world and thinking that mingling with the Philistines is going to give life and joy and contentment? It never will. Sin never pays. Well, we've seen what made him strong. We've seen what made him weak. Now let's ask what made him strong again. 
What made them strong just one more time? What can make you strong? What can make a church strong when we have to admit that we've been backsliding? That we've been with the Philistines? That we've thought that accommodating ourselves to the world and the ways of the world and the priorities of the world could give life? When we realize we've grieved the Holy Spirit, we've, we've reached the point of Samson, he realizes, I made a fool of myself after all that God did for me, all that God did through me. Look at me, grinding grain for the Philistines, blinded, having to be led by this young boy. Look very carefully at verse 22 of chapter 16. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The hair on his head began to grow again. Now, again, the hair's not the source of his strength, but his hair is a reminder of the source of his strength. And as his hair grows, so also does his remembrance of the Lord who called him and consecrated him and set him apart. And you would think the Philistines would be wise enough to know, we've got to shave that hair off. But probably they think now that we've blinded him, what could he possibly do to us? And herein is a symbol that points to the truth that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We may wander, we may drift, we may grieve the Spirit, but those who have been set apart and called by God can never totally or finally fall away. The hair will grow back by God's grace. And we see Samson's realization of this. Here when he's surrounded by the enemy. The enemy is making a mockery of him. They're holding him in contempt. Look at what's happened to mighty Samson. Ha! Let him entertain us. And here he is, holding himself up between these two columns. And what does he do? He prays. He prays. Look at his prayer in verse 28. Sovereign Lord, remember me. It's very important what he calls God. Sovereign Lord. Lord, you are the Lord Almighty. You are the source of power and strength. Please, God, remember me. Look upon me. Act for my good. Give me one ounce of strength just one more time, and that'll be enough. And herein, is Samson's rededication, his re-consecration, his return to the source of power and strength. And this is the remedy for a church that is backsliding, for a church that has, has lost her way. This is the answer for a Christian who's lost the joy of his or her salvation. This is the answer for a person who looks back on their life and they, they realize there was so much excitement early in my Christian life, but where is it now? This is the answer. Rededication. To be consecrated. To pray, God, please remember me. I look to you. You are the source of strength. I have no good thing apart from you. What do I have that's not a gift from you? And what leads Samson to be able to pray this? 
One word, grace. Does Samson deserve this? Does Samson even deserve to utter this prayer to God? No, of course not. Of course not. But it's grace, God's grace. And I want you to know that grace is the only thing strong enough, the only thing strong enough to reach across the chasm caused by our pride, the chasm that separates weak sinners like you and me from the Almighty God and the source of all life and power and strength. Grace, grace, that's it. You can tap into this, look to Christ, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. No matter how far you've wandered, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't said, what you haven't done, you can call to the Lord today and he will save you by his grace. If Samson can call out to God, you can call out to God today as the Spirit leads you. And look how God answers his prayer. He pushes against those columns and they come crashing down and God has the glory he has the glory. And yet, and yet, we can't help but see the sadness of Samson's end. This life that had so much promise, look at it. Let me die with the Philistines. And how ironic is that? This man that spent so much time among the Philistines dies among the Philistines. There's certainly God's justice in that. But as we look at his prayer, we also can't help but notice there is faith, however small, even if it's just a mustard seed, but it's mingled with all kinds of self-centeredness, is it not? What is he praying for? Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. What does he want? Payback, revenge, one blow for my two eyes. And that is not a prayer for us to imitate. But praise be to God that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us a more pure prayer of remembrance. Given to us in the Gospel of Luke, 23rd chapter, beginning at verse 39. Jesus on the cross with two criminals on either side of him one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. What are you doing? What kind of savior are you? You're useless. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you were under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong. This is a consecrated prayer. This is a consecrated life. This is someone who knows, I deserve this punishment. He didn't. But there he is, right beside me. And what does he do? This is another man who prays as he dies. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Sovereign Lord, remember me. That's the prayer of Samson. But here is a pure prayer to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm not asking for any payback. I'm not asking for any reward. I'm not asking for any prize. Just remember me. Just look upon me. Just fulfill your promise to work for the good of your people, for those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. And look at Jesus' answer. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know the source of spiritual power today? And are you drawing strength from the source? Or are you wandering and drifting And if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit you're in the midst of the Philistines. And the lust of your eyes and the pride of your life is dominating and governing. And in the midst of any trial, you feel like you deserve more. How dare God bring this to you? You're a Christian after all. You deserve better. And you're talking like Samson. God, you gave me this great victory. Now you're going to let me starve to death? That's not the prayer of a consecrated life or a consecrated heart. The prayer we need to pray today is, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I need you to shed your precious blood on the cross in my place. The very best that I can offer you is filthy rags. I need your grace. And I need the infilling and the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in my life. May that be your prayer today. And his grace will be sufficient to bridge that chasm. His grace can reach even you. If his grace can reach Samson, his grace can reach you, and his grace can reach me. Are you thankful today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word, for the way your word shines a light on the exceeding sinfulness of sin, how your word exposes how deadly and dangerous sin is. I thank you that your word also exposes how appealing it can be in our eyes. And how easily we can wander and go astray. But I thank you, Father, that alongside that clarity about sin, you've provided clarity about your grace. That in Jesus, your grace is available to us. And I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, we would be drawn to Christ. That we would look to Christ and live. Live eternally. And that whatever it may be that's causing us to drift as individuals, and as a church, I pray that you would restore within us the joy of your salvation. I pray today that there would be a rededication, a reconsecration among your people, or maybe a conversion for the first time. Either way, Lord, I pray that you would move, that you would work, that you would draw your people to yourself, all for your glory and praise.
for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.